till we couldn't shake no more. We got down on our knees when cancer knocked at our door. We got kicked in the ass. We gave lots of sass. Oh, when it rains, it falls into this half full glass. Oh, thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. Victories in the dark. Hi, I'm Mimi Hall. And I'm Leanna House. And you're listening to Thanks Cancer. We are two cancer friends. And we're not doctors. We're not nurses. We're not shrinks. We're not psychics. We're not shamans. No. And cancer is pretty hard, too. I mean, cancer is a little hard. You might hear some swearing words in the episode. Ben, we hope you'll enjoy it. This is the podcast we wish that we had when we were going through our treatment. Guess what, Mimi? What? This is our first morning Thanks Cancer episode. Are you serious? Yes. When when have we recorded in the morning? I thought we recorded once before in the morning. We've never done it. No, it was like 1230 after brunch. Oh, God. That felt like morning, but it wasn't. (laughs) Okay, great. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And it is a lovely morning. Good morning, Cancer. Oh, Cancer never sleeps. We are not going to make that (laughs) We can start this doing a daily show. Good morning, Cancer. (laughs) No, we want the cancer to stay asleep. Yeah, you know what? There's too much media play about viruses in general right now. We are still, depending on when you listen to this, we are still in the thick of the COVID. Yes, which means that I am still working remotely, except when my remote access doesn't work and I have to go in to work. Now, is that weird? It is very weird. It's It used to be totally normal and, you know, getting access, but I work at the hospital, so there's a bunch of gateways to go through in order to get into the hospital. Right. And as employees, there's ways that the hospital makes that a little bit easier, like you do an attestation online that I don't have COVID and I have no COVID mm-hmm. symptoms, but... Um, I was having some technical difficulties. Anyway, it was it was it was really hard to get into my office to restart my computer. And it's also like just a little bit desolate and there aren't mm-hmm. like people aren't talking to each other because we're all trying to keep our germs to ourselves. And it's hard to talk through a mask. And it's oh yeah, everything's everything's just uncomfortable yeah. and weird. Now you're still going in as a patient once a month. What's yes. that what's that been like? Yeah, I'm going in as a patient at least once a month, but my month is minimum because I get shot. Shots Shots, shots, right? Shots. So, so at first it was just started to be different in the way things were edited out. You know, things started getting edited out and like, like, you know, there was no valley parking. Okay, fine. There was no cafe. Okay, fine. The last time that I went in though, which was just, I guess, like last week, things had really changed. So it felt like, okay, this might be the new normal for getting cancer care. The last time I went in, I usually do the valley parking and I, there's, that's not an option. And they actually changed like where you can drive in. I am pretty well schooled at finding my way around the clinic now, but I typically find like those types of industrial buildings and parking lots to be confusing. Well, and when it changes every time, like how you act, even for an employee, like how I access the building changes from week to week and sometimes from day to day. I think you stop thinking about wayfinding once you know a path and then the path is changing. So I actually know that building pretty well, but I don't know the garage very well. And like a lot of hospitals, there's like three different buildings that lead into one garage. I walked around there, no joke, for 10 minutes 
minutes trying to find the elevator. It was also a Saturday. So stuff was shut off for staff only. And my heart went out because I was like, oh my God, if I were even a little bit sick right now, I would be balled up in the corner of this green, creepy matrix like garage. Yeah, just like, I just want to die. I would have had to call someone to come get me. No chemo. Uh, Just give me my chemo here in the garage. I I gave up with my treatment because I couldn't find my way out of the garage. I mean, it was, it was a metaphor. I'm a pretty, you know, I'm pretty all together too. I'm not great with wayfinding in garages. That's true. But like there was another employee who got lost with me on the way back. So it's not just me. Well, it's, it's everyone. And it's so hard too, because now you're not allowed to have someone else because part of my wayfinding was like figuring out with my sister, like, where are we going? What is this? What did they say? Yes. And you don't have anyone to help you unless you find a lost employee. Right. Exactly. Lost employee was my buddy. The only way I found my way back in, I ultimately, after 10 minutes of really working hard and going up and down ramps and the hot garage, I found like the valet parking area. And that's actually, it's, you know, it's not awful, but it's not nice. It's like a lit box uh, with <laughs> elevators in the, with seats. It's and, a lit glass box. That right. Nice and, a, and, a, and an attendant. And that's where all of the caregivers, not all, but that's where I saw a lot of caregivers sitting. So the people are driving their loved ones in and they, they can't go up with them. So they're sitting in sort of in the garage. Like social distancing or like all close together? No, no. Everyone's, I mean, of course they're driving people who are getting treatment. So everyone's like being really careful and they've got masks on, but they're just, there's it's not even organized. So there's nothing organized from what I can tell for the caregivers right now. So you can just, you can leave the site and I should probably just back up by saying, so typically I see people with anywhere from one to five people with them. In, Some, in normal times. In normal times. It's <laughs> going through their first appointments, getting treatments. Yeah. Um, there's tons of people from abroad that get, that come over to Dana-Farber for their treatment. So there's, then there's like, there's like a fleet of translators with them and right. sometimes bodyguards and stuff. It just, who knows? So it, it's really pared down. Like it, it, so we also know that the cancer diagnoses we talked about in a previous episode are way down too. Because people aren't going in for normal things. Now, what I thought was kind of interesting is that the caregivers, I know that now they're maybe allowed in the garage, but before they had to like go to a remote parking lot. Oh, and really? Like, yeah. Like, like, like you're waiting for someone's plane to come in yeah, and yeah, watching like the board. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's cancer cell phone lots. And like, I can't, I mean, watching chemo is super boring. Watching someone get chemo is even more boring, but like waiting for someone to get chemo without even the entertainment of watching them. Like, I can't imagine how boring this whole experience is. I would prefer it. I would prefer it. And I mean, so here's my bright side of the coin. I think it's actually better to go without a caregiver in some way. If it, it, like, you need the ride there. But like you said, I mean, if you're getting like jacked up on Benadryl or something, look, if you can have an ideal caregiver with you who's super strong all the time through the umpteenth million treatment that you're going through, the umpteenth million vein that you're trying to get threaded and it's not working and there's blood going everywhere. Blah. I mean, but usually your caregivers are pretty exhausted. I think it might be nice. So now in Boston, the cafes are just starting to open again and the weather's nice again. So I honestly, as a caregiver, I would probably prefer sitting in the park, you know, that beautiful park, like near, yeah. the, I'd prefer sitting there and having a Starbucks to sitting with 
with my sad friend. I'm just being honest. Okay, have been the friend? There are a lot of really nice parks around Dana Farber. If you are a caregiver at Dana Farber, go and walk down to the Emerald Necklace because it's oh, gorgeous. Also, just that gorgeous park um, near the Harvard Medical Building. That huge, oh, the it's quad. Just, yeah, it's so grandiose and Grecian and classic. And yes, that is beautiful. There's also a really nice park over by Beth Israel Deaconess. Like, like the Longwood area has a lot of really nice parks. Totally. And so I think like that, but anyway, that's the caregiver experience. From the patient experience, it's, so now when you go, so also I get a clearance call before I go in. So I get the call, like, are you showing any symptoms? It's a pretty lame checklist, though. It's like the same checklist that you kind of get if you're going to get your hair cut, to be honest. Like, what are you going to do? Like, they have to ask questions, fine. So then you go in and you get another check-in when you come up from the parking lot. And then you go in and you check in for real finally. It's the third check-in that they say, they check your mask. They give you a new mask if they don't like your mask. Do they check your temperature? Yeah, they check your temperature. Okay. Like like everywhere now. Okay. Um, but no, actually, they don't check your temperature down there because you're going to get your temperature checked up. Actually, I forget if they checked on my temperature. I think they did. That's so hard to tell. I think they did. It, there's just, I also get poked and prodded a lot in these meetings, right. so I forget. So then there's like, you know, almost none of the elevators open. You have to limit the elevator number of people. But that's not a problem anymore because people are not coming on with full-on posse. Right. Third floor, which is where the cafeteria normally is, just like, it's nothing now. It's just like that bridge over to Brigham's and Children's. Like, there's no cafeteria going on. And it's really kind of nice, actually. Like, I've been getting in and out of there in like a half an hour for my injections, which take no time. It's just an injection in my arm. It's really peaceful. There's very little drama. There's very little of the issues of people making noise and playing video games while you're waiting for treatment. Um, All of our stuff about Beats headphones that we needed, no longer an issue. It's really quieted down quite a bit. Yes, chaos. They just started changing all of the chairs. Like, for a while, the chairs were all the same, and it was up to us to social distance. Now they're, like, turned in and out and in and out. So you really can't have a friend with you. And I don't know. I kind of find it liberating, and I think, okay, after a while, I got used to driving myself in and out just for Herceptin, which didn't involve Benadryl. It's an immunotherapy. I actually preferred it because it felt like so much less drama and pressure for me as the patient. Yeah. So while I understand going through treatment right now might feel like, shoot, I've been gypped for my caregiver. I just want to say like there could be, I mean, it's, it's sort of nice once you're past the fear to do this work in solitude, because seriously, you, most of the time you're not making great conversation when you're on chemo, if making any sense at all. (laughs) So what I like about the caregivers is the caregiver is kind of a buffer. Like, and I, both a buffer for, like, answering all of the questions that are thrown at you and, like, dealing with the people around you. Like, I... I really liked having a caregiver as just like a little more insulation against the hospital and against the outside world and against other people. I mean, I went in alone for all of my radiation treatments, but like, I don't, I didn't like going in alone. I didn't like doing appointments alone because it's boring and I have no one to talk to and I have to find places to put googly eyes all by myself. I will say this. So it's, I don't know if this makes sense to anyone except me, but 
I think I would have missed not having a caregiver more when others had caregivers, but now that no one has caregivers and it's simply not an issue. In a way, I felt like I had to have a caregiver. I felt like it was part of the script. And I also, you know, there was a certain point where I actually needed care. So what was it like for you and your family? You said that you went into a bunch of appointments by yourself. Would you say it was like half and half by yourself with a caregiver? You know, I mean, the Herceptin goes on so long. It's kind of like, okay, so you know how now, like, I, you... You would now that you kind of know what my vitamin B injections are like, and you've been to a couple of them just by happenstance, um, or when I've asked you to go in with me, but like you kind of know it's not a big deal, right? Yeah, like it's just not a big deal, and so that's what it was like after I got used to the chemotherapy. I got over the fear, and I Herceptin doesn't have huge side effects like when you get a Benadryl through your IV with Taxol. It's just a totally different ball game. So I was able to drive back and forth completely safely. Honestly, I'm more of a loner. I think asking people to take care of me was the hardest part of my process. It was my big lesson. And I still feel pretty uncomfortable with even talking about it. Like it was hard. Well, it's also really hard because some people don't tell you how much you are or are not putting them out. So, like, relationships, I feel like... I come from a really big family. Right. And relationships are hard enough to navigate, but then you're navigating this, like, weird new space and someone is like, oh, I'll help you, but then you hear from someone else that it was, like, a huge deal and it was, like, terrible for them. And I'm like, I never would have asked if it was, like, something that... Like, just navigating these relationships and managing the caregivers was a big struggle for me. And luckily I had caregivers that were more organizy. So like I had someone who managed my calendar and I had someone who like would run interference for some of this, Mm -hmm. but like, I hear you about asking for help being the hardest part. And sometimes just getting the help is the hardest part. It was it was, I mean, we're talking like my mental, my, like my weeping jags and all of that. It wasn't about dying. It was about finding fucking rides to the clinic when I needed them. And, you know, I had friends that stepped up, but it was a lot of my drama leading up to that where I was struggling with having a hard time even asking for the help. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I wanted help from one person who didn't want to give it to me. And then I fought that battle like, oh endless not, not do, who couldn't give it to me like in a certain way you know and I was it was really like working out a lot of my own stuff before I could even get to the ride to the clinic you know what I mean like it had nothing to do with the actual ride to the clinic it had everything to do with my relationships with my family myself being a leader always being how you communicate how people communicate with you so I found out last minute like three days before a new chemo which was taxol uh-uh. that I was only going to have a caregiver for 24 hours. And as you know, or as I know, or as everyone listening knows. You need someone for like three or four or five. Well, like sometimes you don't get the effects until three days later. And then then you're fucked. And I was like, I like freaked out. I freaked out. Like that was, that was probably my worst breakdown. And I was dealing with a bunch of stuff at work and a bunch of deadlines. And I was like up at the night, 3 a.m. just sobbing. So I called a couple of like good friends, but like not friends that I would have for sleepovers. And I called this friend. (laughs) I mean, after like reaching out to some of my other friends to see if it would like be convenient for some of my other easier friends. And then I called up one of my friends and she answered and I just started sobbing. Like I didn't even like say hello. I was like, I was just like 
heaving, like wrenching sobs. Mm -hmm. And as I'm like trying to explain to her what's happened and I'm like, so I want to know if you can like sleep over at my house Saturday night, but don't let my tears sway you. And she's like, But she totally stepped up and came over and, like, brought her overnight bag and we went out for pizza. It was great. That's um, ride or die. Uh, that, awesome. Oh, my God. She is 100% ride or die. If Janice is listening to this, she is, like, my ride or die chick. <laughs> Janice, I love you. Um, also, I had another friend because Janice couldn't stay for Sunday. So I called up one of my other friends who was, like, a research assistant where I worked. But he's, like, the greatest thing ever. I call him Sweet Cheeks. And <laughs> for the for the barbecue. You, not as sexual so harassment. Which is even funnier because he's a vegetarian, but I called him up and I was like, hey, do you want to like hang out with me? I'm really sick. And he's like, sure. So he comes over with his computer and he's like working on stuff for his like PhD applications. And I'm like, I'm not going to be interesting. He's like, that's fine. I'll just watch you sleep. I'm like, oh, that's, no, so that's what you really need. <laughs> you need someone to watch you sleep. So some of my caregivers are just not good with sitting still. Like pretty much <laughs> all of them. Well, I mean, uh, your caregivers are kind of your friends and family, right? Like yes. that's who they are, right? So we self-select. We were talking about this last night. Like we self-select our friends and our family's genes influence us. Well, you know, my father can't sit still. My mother can't sit still. My friends can't sit still. So I think it was really hard for them just doing that sitting. And in the end, I just said, you guys, just, I need you. I got to once... Here's the thing, and I think this is the thing about those first times. Those first times, it's like you're jumping off a cliff, and you don't know what's going to happen to you, and it's really scary. But, like, the first time you get tax all the first time you get any anything, I don't care what it is. I had a horrible reaction to steroids and Benadryl. Like, it, who knew? But once you get in the routine, I found it very helpful to just be like, guys, go see the Beatles musical together guys go do the grocery shopping like it was kind of like getting into a new job where you're like okay the team I'm working with <laughs> the situation's <laughs> this and the team I'm working with can do that they're not so good at this they're not good at like sitting and reading next to me like no one I picture people like getting into bed with me and sitting and reading with me I don't think that happened once no, well, and I wouldn't it's want that. Team. Like, go, no, it's weird. go it's somewhere else. So you need a care it's team that is, like, self-sufficient. And um, when my dad and my stepmom and my brother um, were all in my one-bedroom apartment with me, there was always two people out doing touristy stuff. Yeah, and I was like, that's perfect. really necessary. I think I've mentioned this in another podcast, but I have to mention it again. My poor father was here for three and a half weeks. Um, he's super active guy and just not, does not sit still and a very inquisitive mind. And I believe he learned all about American colonial history during my cancer time. I think we have to thank <laughs> cancer for that. He, he just, he would come and he's like, and I went to Lexington. <laughs> And he would tell me all of these things. That was like our dinner conversation for a while. It was like all of these things that he had learned in Concord, Lexington. He would just the color of your path. Yeah, like beautiful places. I mean, he's he's traveled to Boston a lot. Like we usually see each other once or twice a year. So like he'd done all of like the normal tourist things. So he went deep into a new level of Bostonia, which I really appreciated. But I do think it, it is like managing the care team you have. And, and I will say, I did not deal with it well in the beginning. The first two months, I was just like, I want this and I want that. And you're all inadequate. <laughs> it was awful is for that, everyone. What yes. isn't talked about enough is, okay, you are asking your friends and family to be your care team, but 
you are changing, the relationships are changing because the things that you usually do together or the ways that you usually relate are like inaccessible during these times of chemo. So like me and my brother, I mean, I still went on some bike rides, but like me and my brother ride bikes together and like we can't ride bikes together. So it's just, and it's not like a terrible thing but it's just like one more thing to navigate like how do you um swim these very turbulent waters with these people and how do you like relate to each other and work together like it's so it's it's a little bit of a fraught relationship it's a kaleidoscopic thing because it's with every single relationship and you just touched me with talking about that i remember i was really down it was like march after i'd finished treatment or something i think i was just finishing treatment i had really short hair and i went out to europe to see my dad and my brother we were in a ski resort area together and my brother was teaching there and I couldn't go skiing because I was in the middle of you know reconstruction surgery and it just felt so weird like I could not go skiing I don't know there were just weird things that really hit me like I was off snowshoeing alone while my family was skiing it felt sad for me and I think it felt sad for my dad we didn't talk about it but like it it was a bit of a, it was a good trip, but it was a very poignant trip for me where I realized that was where I started to realize and started to embrace the 2.0. Cause I'm like, this is all of those old patterns are changed. Well, They're just changed. And this is why I have a lot of understanding and sympathy for the people on the periphery, because do they invite the cancer patient? Do they not invite the cancer patient? Like it always seems to like become a like what the cancer patient can do and can't do and like that's not a conversation that anyone wants to have and like it's I mean the caregiver's job is like really hard like it's loving someone going through this experience oh my god and what about the boyfriend oh well they're, they're gone so no but yeah they're gone for a reason maybe not well who knows no <laughs> There's always a reason. But I mean, I remember my boyfriend at the time when we broke up being like, he's like, but I'm going to miss the good part of your regrowth. And I remember thinking, honestly, that is so fucking true. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, it's true. Like, you went through awful. Like, one time we tried to have sex and it was just like the worst thing ever, like in the middle of my treatment. You know what I mean? It was just the worst. And like... I don't know, it was just awful, and I feel bad. Like, it was such a train wreck. But he got all the good parts before. No, he didn't. He, no, let's be honest about that. He was dealing with an incredibly sick woman who was going nutso, not knowing what was going wrong with her. And also, by the way, I want to say, this is a shout-out to all of my friends and cancer people out there who are physical people who relate to other people physically because that's kind of what I'm talking about with the skiing with my boyfriend too like I relate to people on a physical basis so you know if we can't do sports together if we can't do something physical together it's like things are missing glue and yes I mean I walked like I think I walked basically the number of miles of continental America like during that time I was walking for years Um, well walking is the only thing that you can do my my a lot with my caregivers my caregivers were like what we're just gonna walk six miles I'm like why not <laughs> my caregivers learned how to walk. It's no doubt true. Like my caregivers, like my mom, like learned how to walk in the city. Like doing that thing where like you look down and up at the same time to see if you're gonna like step in poo, a crack, a homeless person, whatever. You know what I mean? It's a skill. It, no, it is. I mean, she fell a few times, and I was like, if you're gonna help me, we gotta teach you how to like, like we gotta practice this. It's true. I mean, and also here's the other thing: like your caregivers are sometimes coming in from really different places too. Like. 
my, my, you know, like suburbia and whatnot, you know, it's yeah. just a really different, suddenly you're in this urban environment, you're dealing with cabs, Ubers, what's that? Um, and trying to find parking, dealing with caregivers who don't understand parking in Boston. <laughs> I mean, that's where I think it just became for me like, look, after I was well enough to say, I can do this. And it was a real incentive for me too. I remember using, like, because you go... I went through phases of needing intensive caregiving. So my mom would literally come up here and live here for a few weeks and then she would go home. And usually after a surgery, the thing was this, my mom could go home after I was off the painkillers. So I was just like, so it was such a good twofer for me. I'm like, I'm getting off these painkillers so I can drive and my mom can go home, you know, cause like then I can take care of, then I can take care of myself. And it did, I don't know. I think, I think my attitude has a lot of problems with it, but the good thing is I think I got myself healthier because I despise having caregivers. Not, I didn't despise the caregiver. I despise having to have caregivers. It's really so hard. It's really hard to be a patient patient. Ugh. <laughs> it's just, yeah. So do we have any protocols to go over? Okay. So protocols for cancer patients is... Be patient. <laughs> no, I would never, I would never advise that. I would say for cancer patients, uh, be very clear about what you need and what you want and communicate that clearly. And then, like, wash your hands of it. Okay, I would say uh, don't be afraid to walk alone. Because a lot of you guys, if you're going through treatment right now, you are walking alone. And I know for some of you it must be really hard, but... I'm guessing for others, while you may be feeling that loss, you'd actually be surprised at how annoying it would be to have your caregivers there. So just think about that. Um, and also take advantage of technology. I was thinking like, the same thing. You can, you can be on the phone with someone during the boring times. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you can even FaceTime, although poor FaceTime is probably getting a little bit overwhelmed. I would never want to. I'm too vain to want to FaceTime when I'm getting <laughs> shot up. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think that's good. Do you have any other protocols? Just be kind. Be kind and be real. Be kind to yourself and to others. Yeah, I'm gonna go I'm gonna give a shout out to both of those, but especially the caregivers, because I know my caregivers really experienced a lot of my wrath and my difficulty with finding my words, you know, finding the way I what I really needed to say and I wish I had been more honest I wish I had been tapped in enough so I could have been more honest and like look it's really hard for me to ask you for help but I need to instead of playing these weird like twisted childlike games that I played a little bit like you're not here for me no one's here for me there was a lot of that oh my god it was awful so just be real and also like if you are alone I think I felt like I had to have caregivers like almost too much and I think you kind of need to play it as it lays and see how it goes. But don't be afraid of giving a little leash to those caregivers and yourself if you're more of a loner type, which right now, I don't think you have any other option because, you know, you are going to be alone in treatment. That is the way it's going, right? And be careful of being too much of a manager or too much of an entertainer. Like, oh, that is, that's part of my issue. Like, it's you have to really step back and let go and let God. Find your new role. I mean, this is, so for me, I can say in hindsight, which is 2020, (laughs) that um, I can say that it allowed me to become so 
I, not a completely less, but so much less of a control freak and so much more real. And realness is really the gift, I think, that I've gotten out of that experience. The whole thing. And I would say, actually, like, the care, the caregiving and the asking for help was, like, major areas of growth during the whole experience. Maybe even bigger than facing death, honestly. Just asking for help. Thanks, cancer. Yeah, thanks, caregivers. Thanks, cancer. <laughs> that was our episode. Thanks for listening to Thanks, Cancer. If you guys enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would give us a review on iTunes or Google Play. And you can find us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook at Thanks, Cancer. And please, we'd love to hear from you your stories. Your protocols. Exactly. Advice that you have to share with the community. So send us your audio files at info at thanksCancer.com. traffic stopped you lay on the horn and you ask yourself where is my cancer unicorn but we're at the gate with your cancer card we're your passport date cause cancer's damn hard oh thanks cancer thanks cancer thanks cancer victories in the dark (laughs) 